Welcome back, episode 16 of the Four Inside Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Obi. We have a great episode in store for you today. This guy I'm bringing on is the literal embodiment of why I started this platform, man. I met him back in high school. We played football together. And just seeing his work and his grind and his, um, you know, perseverance is why I needed to bring him on. Without further ado, my guy, Stephen Butler. Stephen, how you doing, bro? Awesome, awesome. Nice to be here, bro. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm chilling, bro. Chilling. Appreciate you coming on today. Of course, man. Of course. All right. Where I want to start off is your football career, man. Um, you know, we played for Bridgepoint High School. Mm-hmm. You grew up and coming program, and you know I, I met you as I was a freshman, and I was new onto the team. Uh, just talk about what got you into football, because every guy's story is different. Every person's story is different. So talk about what it was like for you, and how you got into the game. Uh, well, you already know, like our experiences at RP were definitely different. Um, uh, football-wise, man, I started, um, and I, to be honest with you, bro, boxing was my first sport. So. Um, I was just always a big kid, and um, to be honest with you, me and my mom were walking in Walmart, and this uh, this coach that was a little league coach up here just and like come up to me, and he said, "Hey, uh, does your boy already have like a little league team that he's playing on?" And my mom be like, "No," and I'm talking about this happened to us like every weekend, every time I'm at the grocery store, or or we're out these little league coaches will come out to me and be like, hey, give us your boy. Like, hey, he needs to be on the field somewhere. You got to – you need to put him out there. And um, so, eventually, um, one of my best friends that I've known since I was, like, a baby, his dad was a coach of a little league team. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had finally got a hold of my mom, and that was who he ended up signing up with for my first time playing ball. So, started that when I was eight. Um, and I, I was D-line. <laughs> huge, big, big chubby kid, big, huge, strong, chubby kid. D-line in Little League, uh, played for one of the best teams in Fort Bend Youth. You know, I was a Southwest deer. Mm. And just coming up from there, um, just being around – that program, honestly, is what kind of shaped me, bro, just being around so much talent. Um, all the guys that I play with, um, we either all played college ball somewhere, almost all of us, like, really like 80% of us ended up playing college ball somewhere and some of them actually like have gone on to the NFL so even just just coming from that kind of like instill like a work a work ethic in me and um really just bro just overall that's that's kind of how I got into the game and then um been blessed to exactly we we met up in middle school and high school and um you know, we were surrounded by a whole bunch of talent there. My experience in high school, you already know, I had a, I had a very underdog experience in high school. Um, you know, I had to, it was only a one-year senior, one-year varsity player. My senior year was supposed to start. Um, you know, politics and things happened. I didn't get to start. You know what I'm saying? Um, and <laughs> to keep it very, very short, bro, things happen. But, um, to be honest with you, bro, that I, I'm thankful for that experience in, in football in general because when that happened to me, you already know I, I had people coming to the games, filming my games for me, and I did my own thing and marketed myself, and people didn't even know I was getting offers. And then uh, I ended up at that signing table in February and ended up – I got to play the game for five more years, bro. So, honestly, it's, it's been a good ride. It's been a blessing. A lot of experience, a lot of fun, for sure. 
it paid for most of my college, not all of it, but most of it. So, you know, that's that's basically what football has been for me. Is it, and honestly, bro, it's been easy to let go too. I didn't think that there was life after football at first when I was first done, but that you know, it was it was actually kind of really easy for me to let go, especially after playing it in college. I feel you. But uh, let's get into the your rich point experience because, like you said, our experiences were much different, but not but not all of it, not all. Um, no, not all of it. What I want to go into is that, like you said, you had a real underdog experience. I witnessed it firsthand, but for you, in your eyes and in your shoes, you know, I can't tell your story. Uh, yeah. Main thing I want to, I want you to talk about is, you know, you were a guy, like you said, you had to, you know, persevere. You only were able to play on varsity for one year. And for a lot of guys and gals, they play varsity sports in high school. They give up because they feel like either they don't get the playing time that they need. They don't feel like the coaches believe in them. Politics are a factor, especially where we went to school. For sure. It just was what it was. We're not, you know, it ain't salty grapes. It is what it is. So just talk about what your experience was like playing at RP and what those challenges were for you. Man, uh, well, I mean, we played together in middle school, and you already know, bro, I, I had never been – since I played in middle school, uh, you know, whatever, I was always a – and coming up from Little League, bro, I was always a starter, a, a 18 kid, never, never, ever, ever was at the bottom of a list on a tryout, none of that. I I mean, like, I was I was good. Like, everybody saw that I was good, you know what I'm saying? Um, So, we get to RP, made every 18 possible. Mm. Freshman team, you know, they moved half of our class up. It left us, you know, we played freshman ball, did that, did that whole climb the ladder process. And, um, I mean, still sophomore year, I'm still, still grinding it out. A team again, grinding it out, um, really putting it in, bro. I was, what, I had just as many yards as the running backs I was blocking for as a fullback, bro. I was, I was toting it. I was, I was getting it in and, um, really, bro, just, I, I can't – I'm not going to speak on the coaching or anything like that. Like, I'm not that type of person. And, honestly, it's, it's behind me now, so I don't have it in me to, to speak bad on the coaching or, or whatever politics. You know, we were surrounded by a lot of talent. Like, I – it is what it is. Like, I, we were surrounded by a lot of talent. Um, you you already know me. I, and when it came to the weight room, bro, when it was time for us to hit offseason, um, me, you, it was just that handful of guys. We, we grinded it out. We were – we were in there after practice. We were in there during the summer, which is something that high school kids don't do, bro. High school kids don't do that. We were in there getting in extra work and, and leaving the field house like at almost 7 p.m. Like, I I didn't even have rides home from practice, bro. The coaches were taking me home, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, the grind story for me was a lot different. And um, just the overall experience for being in that program exactly – it was a competitive school to go to for sure. Um, what really, what really, really, really humbled me, bro. And it was honestly something that made her, it could have made her break me, bro. Because at one point I was almost willing to quit because, and you knew what position I was in. I started on every team we played on both sides of the ball. I got moved to one position on the field and, Senior year was my year to start. You already know, bro. We mm. we had a 255 pound fullback that ran a four or five. 
he had finally graduated and it was time for me to go. Like, I, it was my chance, bro. I was supposed to start. Mm. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting that opportunity taken away from me. And my senior year kind of got stepped on, bro. I was building up a lot of a lot of uh, fuss of myself. Like, a lot of coaches, I had coaches that were actually coming to games. And I did a lot of camps that junior year and really put in on, a, on the recruiting side and really did a lot of work for myself. I took visits and everything. Mm-hmm. junior year um and what fueled that bro is is when I that meeting that our head coach talks is like hey if you're interested in playing college ball uh raise your hand and we'll set up a meeting bro so and a lot of y'all don't know this but when I had my meeting and I sat in the coach's office and you know how hard I used to work in and all this other stuff I sat across from him and he told me that I was if if I could get a scholarship, that at very best I was going to be a D three player. So that meeting was that that was going in that was after our junior season on uh, the A team on JV. Yeah. And bro, uh, excuse me. And uh, there you go. Um, and after that, bro, that was going into my senior season. He didn't know I had D two schools looking at me. I actually had one D one double A invite me for a camp. Like I had. I had all this stuff going on, but it wasn't through the school. Like, nobody was asking for my name for the high school. So, after I had that meeting, bro, and senior year came along, it was like I didn't care about how much playtime I got. Like, you know what? Like, now I got a chip on my shoulder. So, you already know, every – we we were blowing everybody out in the last four minutes. We I got put in. Yeah. And every – you know, every time I got put in, bro, I, I took advantage. I killed it. I killed every single rep I got. I think on max preps, it'll only show you, like, I only had, like, 16 carries in the season. But if you look at my yard average, my yard average was 5.6 a carry. So, so you know what I'm saying? Like, I took advantage of every chance I got, and I didn't let it stop me. And, um, you know, like, everybody's story is different. Like, my story should have been a lot different if I was at a different place, but I had no control over that. So, you know, um, I just rode with the punches, and, and that's what we made out of it, bro, ended up. Uh, signed into a school out of state at NAIA and ended up realizing I was too talented to be there. So I ended up at the best D2 in the state of Texas at the time and killed it there, bro. And and honestly, it's, it's been a blessing, every every single part of it. I'm actually thankful for everything that's happened to me in high school, for sure. Yeah, man. So from my, from my perspective, it was all about, you know, you were a guy who really was um, – you had a blessing and a curse from the standpoint. We had a very deep stable of running backs. Most of them went on and played in uh, college at some level outside of a couple guys who got hurt. But, I mean, it's crazy whenever you had guys who easily could have went and started at other schools in the district. Yeah, most definitely. They're on JV at our school. That was the type of competitiveness and how deep our talent pool was. And, you know, just there just wasn't enough reps for you, you know. And, you know, again, you didn't let that stop you. You didn't let that hinder you. You didn't let that – make you give up you just kept pushing you kept your head down and grinded and that's one thing I always respected about you uh you know you know a little bit of my story and how you know I faced some adversity my junior year as well where Mm -hmm. you know obstacles happened stuff happened decisions were made and you know I felt slighted at one point but at the same time I could have easily decided okay do I quit or do I keep do I keep on going and I think it's important to bring people on here you know who decide to take the take the ladder and say, okay, you know what? Definitely. Fuck it. There is an obstacle in my way. I can either yeah. let it stop me or I can decide to push through it, you know? And and for you, 
again, we had 22 guys from our class sign, I think at least 22. And nobody ever would have thought you were, you would have signed, but I was like, nah, I expected him to be at that motherfucking table because I love yeah. him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro. And, and I feel like that also, that, that adversity helps you get through college and help you play all five years because a lot of guys, you know, didn't play all four years. You know, they man, bro. Most of our class didn't make it. Didn't the there was only four of us that actually went the whole four, and one of us that actually almost took it all the way out of that whole class, out of the, all that talent we had. That's crazy. So that that just that just tells you right there. And the common, but the common, you know, fan or the common man will will look at it and say, okay, those dudes, you know, they had twenty two guys sign. I'm like, yeah, okay, look at how they end up four years from now. And that's the yeah. thing I had to see and I had to understand was while signing day is cool, signing day, I guarantee most of those guys will either get cut, they'll leave the school, they'll get hurt, they'll quit. For, look at who makes it through all four years because it, it's just a weed out process. And yeah, I, I think one thing that guys really don't understand is that college ball on every level is not the same as high school ball. High school ball is fun, it's a game, and, and college is it's work. And it's a job, you know what I'm saying? And so I think just you having to go through adversity helps you, you know, push through all any obstacle that you were facing in college, you know? Oh, yeah, most definitely. And uh, I, I'll tell you straight up, bro, it was the kids that that got most of that opportunity and were starters and, and everything. They didn't have that mindset to make it through uh, what it takes to go through college ball, bro. Like, honestly, you kind of got to have that. You gotta have that uh that loser kind of tip on your shoulder to to make it through college ball, bro. Because you gotta realize when when you when you're this kid that you're a man amongst boys in high school, mm-hmm. you got you got ninety other kids that are coming in that did the same thing you did. Yeah. And so when you get that that entitled mindset and uh, you don't have what it takes when when they stick somebody in front of you. In college, it don't matter, bro. It, it really – half the time it's not a talent thing in college. So, mm-hmm. when they stick somebody in front of you just because they recruited them too, they, they recruited all these kids. So, when they stick a kid in front of you just for the sake that they're on that program and you got this mindset like, hey, like I should be starting. I did this in high school. I did that. They ain't going to make it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those kids didn't. That's how, that's how they weed out those kids, man. That's how – that's how a lot of our guys didn't make it through, bro, because that, that entitlement that came out of high school is – that's not how you make it through college, bro. Fall camp and, and everything, all they – all I've, the first thing I noticed when I first got to college, bro, was these names on magnets on that whiteboard, bro. And all they do is just every single day, bro, they move them around like a puzzle piece, bro. Every single practice, people are getting moved on this whiteboard, bro. So I'm telling you, like – that dog mentality is something you gotta have, and and honestly, I respect. I care more about the kids that aren't getting looked at in high school because those are the kids that that wanted, and those are the kids that will probably help out a program more, bro. So, yeah, those are the hidden gems. I caught, you know, that's what I was referred to them as hidden gems. Yeah, we bro. Had on our team, we had someone on our team where they didn't fit the eye test, and you know, I remember our defense. We used to use that as to our advantage. Like, okay, we were a bunch of dudes who we looked at us. You know, oh, that guy's not six three and two seventy like a prototypical blue chipper. But yeah, yeah, you can't measure dog though. 
you can't measure my IQ. Definitely not. I want to. And I think we had a lot of those types of guys on our on our team and on our defense, and that's what helped us be successful. And you know, a lot of guys weren't initially recruited their first three years. A lot of what we were able to accomplish came in that last year when we went to the when we won district and everything. And I just think, you know, again, I, I, it's important to reinforce this point of, you know, to get to the next level, you're living proof of it that you have to have a certain level of drive in order to get to the next level. And what are you going to do to set yourself apart when you get there? A lot of guys are just complacent in getting signed. Okay. Most definitely. But they don't make it through for whatever reason, you know. Man, but that's it's another thing, bro. You got to think about it. When we were there, honestly, until I uh, talked to – so I talked to one of my closest position coaches there, bro. I didn't know anything about um, these other options. Like, we – we were in a big city. You're in Houston, bro. Yeah. I had never heard the term NAIA, never heard of the term D3, never heard of D2, never heard of these other D1, AA, or, or FCS, none of this. Never heard about any of these other opportunities that actually pay kids money to play. Excellent. We never heard of this but until – I didn't hear none of this until my junior year, man, at all. So nobody told me about these other options, and that's the problem when – all you're surrounded by is D1, 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 D1. D1. Everybody's doing this, D1. D1. You go to school in Houston, you're at a big 5A, 6A. All you see is schools that are big D1s come to your school. You don't notice you have that option, bro. You don't. And, and the, it, falls on, it falls on the programs itself, bro, because we should be telling these kids, like, hey, after you leave eighth grade, you need to make a highlight tape. Fact. You need to start sending emails in ninth grade, and you need to put your – you need to market yourself. Nobody tells these kids that, bro, and it, it has to change. It's, it's got to be – especially with technology being so prominent, bro, it's got to be something that changes. And I don't know why we still run into this problem, but it's a lot of – a lot of it is kids that just don't know about it. And a lot of kids is just, okay, I need to realize that I may not run a 4-5, I'm a safety. I'm a I'm an under six foot safety. I don't run a four or five, but I'm good. Mm-hmm. So let me see what I can do with this. Let me see if somebody will pay for my college. You know, yeah. but a lot of kids don't know that they have that option. We got to change it, bro. We got to. We have to. And that's why right. we that's why we come on here and have this conversation, man. Because that's the thing. People don't know because nobody's telling them, but nobody's bringing. Yeah, for them. sure. And so I'm like, okay. I looked at it, and especially after I got done playing ball, I was like, man. There's a lot that if I had known this when I started high school, when I started playing, man, Mm -hmm. who who knows? And it's like for me, as I started mentoring people, as I started mentoring young kids, as young dudes were starting to ask me about ball, ask me about different things. I'm like, man, it's a lot of things that they don't tell you, bro. And that's why, you know, it's like, okay, let me let me get this guy on here. Let me get this guy on here who's actually seen it and who's actually most definitely. No, I mean because. It's, it's all about passing down what we know now to the next generation, to the next, you know, crop of kids. You know, you, you never know. A dude who has who has the wants, who has the dog, can be productive, can be a good player, he, and he just never had the know-how. He gets left behind, and then, you know, he doesn't make it. Not because he couldn't do it, but just because he didn't know he had the Yeah. You know? Most definitely. I totally agree, bro. But uh, getting recruited, you know, for you – like you said, you played at a JUCO, and then you went and transferred to a D2. But let's talk about your JUCO experience first. 
you know, now they have a Netflix show called Last Chance U that gives a little bit of a depiction as to Juco life. But for you who experienced it the first thing, I knew about it and I know now. And what people don't understand is the fact that first off. So my, my experience, I actually, uh, I, I could have went the Juco route. I uh, could have went to Navarro and Kilgore. And I skipped out on that because I got offered money to to go play at a four year. So I did I went the NAIA route. Mm. What's the difference? I got offered yeah. So it's these really small schools, bro, really mm. tiny schools in the middle of nowhere. But they actually got some really good scholarship packages, bro. And um mm. that's what I got hit with. I got hit with, hey, you probably don't even know who we are, but you fit our offense. And we have money for you. Mm. So that's where I went, bro. And um it was the most terrible experience I could have ever like imagined, bro. I lasted <laughs> lasted two semesters. Actually, no, so I, I lasted two semesters there. Then uh I had issues with getting released mm. with their athletic director. And so I got an offer from Midwestern coming out of high school, but I didn't go because it wasn't enough money. Um, so I ended up just reaching back out to them, and I had one of my best friends that was already playing over there and uh, sent them a highlight tape from the school that I was currently playing at. Like, this is just – he was like, yo, he's a true freshman. He's doing this and this and that over here in Kansas. Like, let's bring him back or whatever. So the coach um, that recruited me actually ended up taking a job at SFA, so he wasn't even there anymore. So nobody even knew who I was. Right. But the head coach remembered me. Mm-hmm. Because the head coach is the one that asked about me at a game at Ridge Point where I didn't play. Mm. And um, the coach that went out there to go watch me left. But he told the coach about my size and, and about, like, what I had to offer because he watched my film. So the mm. head coach remembered me, and I ended up getting uh, offered to go there. So that's where I went. That's where I graduated from, and that's where I ended up at. Yeah. But honestly, brother, the the two-year, the two-and-leave, two and you know, experience – it's just all about what you make it, bro. Just as long as you – and kids bounce around everywhere. So, it's just all about, um, again, your attitude and, and what you put into it. If you know you want to leave a school and you want a bigger opportunity somewhere else, mm-hmm. then it's plain and simple. Even though you may hate where you're at at that, at that certain point in time or you may not like the program or what they do, you still got to put in that, that work so you can get out. So, it's – you know, it's, it's that simple. If I want to leave, then guess what? I got to bust my ass. I got to tear it up over here so I can get out. It's yeah, that easy. Of course. So that's basically what I did, bro. I uh, killed it over there. I was a true freshman. Uh, didn't start my first year. I was just in the mix as a freshman. Uh, did special teams. And then that second, the last two years I started, uh, scored scored one touchdown. My fresh, Actually, my freshman year, I scored a touchdown. Um Second year, I scored a few. Third year, I completely smashed it. Um, was up there. I got freshman of the conference, freshman of the week, or something like that. Yeah. Once, so killed it over there. I knew I was. I knew I wasn't going to stay there, so I killed it, and then went about my business and got went somewhere else better, bro. So that was that was the story of that. And I honestly knew when I when I signed to that school, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. <laughs> After I visited, I knew I wasn't going to stay there. So. Yeah. That's kind of just what made me grind it out more. It's just the fact that I knew I didn't want to be there. Facts. So then when you get to Midwestern State, talk about what that experience is like. You transfer now. Man, 
Uh, transferring to MSU was was a great experience, and you know what? Like it's it's a small town in the middle of nowhere, but I was just so grateful to be back in the state, bro, because yeah. Kansas was just so awful. <laughs> and I tell everybody, I'm like, if you're a person that wants to travel and, and visit all of the states, just cross Kansas off your list because there's absolutely nothing, nothing there, bro. So when I uh, when I got back to MSU, it was a breath of fresh air for me, and I was just so happy to be in state and um solid program, very competitive. Had a guy that got drafted a year before I got there, so they were kind of high radar. They had gone from winning, I think, like five conference championships in a row. Um, just a lot of culture, um, a lot of grind. It was, it was one of the toughest programs I've been in. Mm. And our program in high school was tough. Mm. And so <laughs> it was it was tough, bro. It was, it was really tough. I loved it, though. Everybody was close-knit. Um, you know, I kind of, you know, regained my, my passion for the game there, most definitely. Yeah. Um, I didn't make a, I didn't make as much noise as I made at my first school in Kansas, but I did, I did enough. Um, and then my senior year ended up getting switched to outside back to defense where my bread and butter was back to outside linebacker, yeah. um, and helped out on the other side of the ball. And it was really just a smooth career. I kind of transitioned from being football minded at MSU is MSU is kind of where I got humbled at mm -hmm. and realized that I had started interning and started getting into other stuff as far as my career goes. And uh, I started to see that there was a lot of stuff that I had to offer other than being a football player. Yeah. And um, there's just a lot of stuff that I was involved in. I was a manager at a gym out there. Mm -hmm. uh, they called me, they found out I was there and they called me. Apparently, they were watching what I was doing in Houston, and they wanted me there. So, I was managing a gym full-time, playing football, uh, working on graduating. I kind of shifted focus after that sophomore season mm -hmm. where I got registered because I had never been registered before. Um, and that kind of opened my eyes. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, you know, like, <laughs> all right, well, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm off for a season. So, like, what, what the hell am I getting ready to do? So, um, that's kind of where my mindset shifted and I kind of realized, you know what, like now's the time where I invest in like what I'm going to do after I, while I play football, I'm going to invest on what I'm going to do after football. So, um, I loved MSU. I really had a good time. Um, the guys were good. We went through a lot of stuff together. One, I got two rings. I got one from Tabor and one from MSU. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it was a good ride up there, bro. I'm, I'm very grateful and I'm glad I, I graduated. That's the school I chose to graduate from for sure. I like if anybody gets recruited from there, I definitely recommend going for sure. There you go. That's what's up, man. But uh, talk about that though. That your mindset started to shift and started to evolve as you know you got as your experiences changed and as you got to Midwestern State because I think a lot of guys struggle with that that post football career. You know they don't know really what to do or they never really yeah. Had their purpose in life and never find what they want to do with life after football. Yeah. Right. So just talk about how that came about for you. So, I mean, you already know my, my situation is kind of different. Like I'm kind of a, a rare a cadence because uh, I found out what I was good at and, and what I was, what I was going to do when I was 15. Like y'all, <laughs> y'all knew I was, I was working at a gym while we were in high school. I was, I was working at a gym. I'd open up the gym, teach a class, go to school, go to practice, go back to the gym, 
teach classes, train clients, close the gym, and, and repeat. And I've been doing that since I was 15. And um, I found that by accident, you know what yeah. I'm saying? But because I found it so early, I didn't really have to fish around and realize, like, you know, kind of be that lost puppy in college and try to see what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I, the advice that I do tell people that don't know um, is just really when you go into college – not knowing what profession you want to get into, what I tell like a lot of the young guys that I, that I uh, work out with now that, that work out with me and train me, whatever, or that I just mentor, I tell them like, hey, don't don't declare. Like, your advisor's gonna be like, well, what do you want to do if you don't know? To be like, I I don't want to declare. Mm-hmm. Take all your core courses because in those core courses, that's where you find out what you're interested in, bro. Oh, if no. you're if you're good at math then you figure out you you want to do something that involves math. If you're good at A and P, you figure out like, hey, I'm good at A and P naturally. I could be a PT. I can get into strength and conditioning. I can do this and this and that. Or if I'm good at psychology, if psychology interests me, then, hey, look, like I like psychology. What can I get into a psychology? So that's kind of the way that um, I tell the younger guys to, to gauge if you have no clue absolutely no clue and no passion for one thing right now go to college undeclared like do your two years or your your three semesters without without knowing and find out because you'll find out real quickly bro when you in that um that geology class (laughs) and you don't care about rocks you know that you don't want to do anything involving rocks or if you in psychology and you don't care about anything about psychology so you don't realize you don't like that. So that's kind of how you, you gauge out what you want to do. And um, really, even in the field that I was in, bro, even with that background, I still honestly didn't have a finger on it until my uh, – maybe my, my sophomore year. No. Until my – because my first year I got to intern or whatever, it was just a shadow and experience. So I didn't really know if I was going to like, you know, that, that field or area at all. Because I had dipped my head in a lot of stuff. I interned at an accounting firm. I interned at a um, at a brokerage firm. I interned all different types of places. So I really didn't wasn't able to put my finger on it until my sophomore year. But then once you take those core classes, you figure it out fast. Yeah. So that's kind of how I figured it out. And um, I just been in the like with me, you know, I just I've had this experience since I was fifteen. So when I tell people, when people ask me that question, at the same time, I don't really count because me personally, I didn't have that experience. I kind of was not groomed for it, but kind of groomed for it, like for, for what I'm into now. So, you know, that's that's basically what I have to say about it. Just don't go in trying to pressure yourself to know what you want to do. There's grown-ups that majored in something that still don't know what they want to do. So if I can give you that advice, man, just go in knowing that you don't want to – that you don't know what you want to do and then have an open mind, bro, and, and really pay attention and – the classes that you think you might not care about and you know what I'm saying? Just just figure it out that way. Yeah. That's the best advice I could give you for real college wise. Yeah. And it's a good point, man, because you know, I think there are a lot of young kids and a lot of young people, especially as the world around us diversifies, it's like they don't really have a a, a sure like hand as far as okay, I wanna do this and I know it for sure. And so going yeah. being undeclared and just, you know, getting your bases done, first off, 
you're going to go through a maturation process just being in college alone. There's going to be a sense of, okay, I'm on my own. Okay, I need to learn how to do this. I need to learn how to do that. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I hate doing this, but I like this. So naturally, let me try to gravitate towards things, you know, at least in this oh, world. And then from there, you just got to do some research. Like, okay, I know I like math or I know I like science or I know I like, you know, whatever the case may be. Okay, what majors, you know, involve that realm? And then that's how you, that's how you gauge it. What you don't want to do is what some people end up, you know, falling into, which is you declare a major that either you really aren't bought into or you don't really even know what it is. And then all of a sudden, halfway through, it's like, oh man, I want to change my major. Now you got to basically go back to ground zero or start from square one again. And then uh -huh. you're wasting your money or you're wasting your parents' money. You have to take out loans and then you end up delaying graduation, right? So, you know, just if you're not sure yet, then don't, like I said, don't declare. I, I had a good idea, but I, I switched majors. Luckily, I, I found it um, early enough to where it didn't set me back too much. And I think what what it was also was that the realms that the, the major I switched to was similar to what I'd already been in. It was just a derivative of it. Instead of being so much more the physical side, it was the physical coupled with the um, couple with the social and uh you know again for people who ask me now as they get into college like what should i do or what should i major in or you know how did you go about x y or z it's like you said but you have to be real with yourself you have to be honest with yourself and you have to understand who you are as a person don't live for anybody else don't do it maybe because you you were told to do it because somebody yeah. thought it was cool not nah, you have to be self-aware and say okay i love this or I'm interested in this. I know I want my life to look like this. And then figure out a profession and a major that enables you to get to that lifestyle. Yeah, no, I totally agree, bro. Totally agree. So. Now you graduate from college. You got what you want. But um, let's talk about your other passion, man. Boxing. You know, you've talked you've talked about boxing since the day I met you. You <laughs> had a passion for it. I've seen some of your fights. You know, you've talked about it. You've even raised money for one of our boys before with it. So just talk about how you got into boxing and uh, how you developed that passion. Man, um, and it's crazy because I didn't get into boxing. I was just – backstory, um, I was just always a bad kid, bro. I came from – uh, a really, a really shitty situation growing up. I grew up in Ridgemont, so everybody that listens to Zero in Houston, whenever he's talking about Ridgemont, and I'm from Ridgemont. I'm from, I'm from the first street when you hop on Ridgemont. That's where I'm from. Um, you know, no father, basically, virtually no father situation. So, honestly, just growing up as a kid, I, I was very, I don't know if I was angry, but I was, I was bad. Like I, I had a lot of, a lot of, uh, just a lot of emotion and, and a lot of stuff built up in me mm. and I was expressing it in very bad ways. I was, I was the kid that was in the principal's office every other day and my mama was coming to get me. Um, so <laughs> boxing for me, uh, was used as, as a source of discipline mm. initially is what it was for. Um, the coach that I got introduced to was just a coach that was in my neighborhood and um he had been there for a long time. So helped started up the PABA gym with George Foreman and 
uh, those guys and uh, very old school. And the first thing uh, he said to me when my when he was asking my mom why I why he was bringing me in here, well, he's acting up in school and all of this. First thing he 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 did was tell me to just go outside and run. <laughs> go outside and run. Don't come back in until I'm done talking to your mama. And so from then on, bro, I, I honestly hated boxing when I first started. <laughs> I was this fat chubby kid. I'm like, bro, I don't I hate running. I hate this fat chubby kid and going to a boxing gym, didn't know what I was doing, whatever. Um then my brother was the one that started he was already doing it when that happened and so uh i honestly wasn't even caring to get into the sport i was just there doing whatever the coach told me to do because i was in trouble mm. <laughs> and uh my brother taught me the science bro i was started learning how to throw punches and and learned the science and really got into it with my brother and and really dug into it and uh my coach saw that like naturally i was catching on really really fast like after my second session doing skill work and everything, coach was like, you know what? Like, hey, Leon, you don't have to get up in there. Like, you got a natural jab. You're moving. You're catching on fast. Like, a lot of kids don't catch on this fast. Mm -hmm. So, I told my mom. My mom was against me. My mom was like, no, um, I don't want him to take any contact. I don't want him to do that. Like, just keep doing what we're doing, whatever. So, I uh, started when I was five. Started when I was five. Um didn't have my first fight till I was eight. Mm. And then from there, you know, I kind of just, like you said, I kind of really just naturally jumped into it, bro. I didn't lose until I was, like, 16. So, um, a lot of fights, a lot of fun, a lot of experience. Uh, Junior Olympics when I was 14, uh, two Golden Glove wins, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's been a, a long ride, and honestly, it's, I developed that passion just through uh, – being a kid, bro. Being a being a kid with a with a troubled background, trying to find ways to express my emotion and yeah. whatever, getting in trouble, um, and then kind of just grow. It grew on me, just like every sport does for everybody. So it grew up on me, and uh, it ended up being a huge like boxing is what most of my life is made up of. That's why people meet me. That's that's what I talk about because without boxing, I I probably wouldn't even be here, bro. I would be – probably would have ended up in jail or something like that, something crazy, to be honest with you. Because I already liked fighting in general. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I used it. it. It's done a lot for me uh, professional-wise and everything. So, I love it. I love it. Um, I'm trying to get back into it, actually, bro. I'm looking at uh, – getting back into doing a few more amateur fights. I've been doing fights with pro fight camps with a lot of pro guys in the Houston area since mm -hmm. I've gotten back. Um, worked with Justin Ledette. He was on the card for Conor McGregor. He was on that undercard. Mm -hmm. um, my sparring partner when I was in Wichita getting ready to fight again before I had my car accident, uh, my sparring partner was Bubba McDaniel. So I did a bunch of camps with him. He was in that same class as John Jones in the Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. um, just a lot of my background with boxing, I've just been surrounded by a lot of great guys. Mike Jackson is one of the guys, like, I was a kid and he was a grown-up and he kind of, like, kind of opened a lot of doors for me as far as the game of boxing goes. He taught me a lot, beat me up a ton. Mm -hmm. um, so, just honestly, bro, I've been, been surrounded by a good community of people and 
I've let it take me a lot of places. So we'll just see what else goes on with it. I'm not ready to give it up yet. My mom wants me to, but <laughs> um, I'm going to still keep trying to see. I'm going I'm to try to push and see where I can take it. Um, I'm looking at the next year and a half, trying to go pro pretty soon. So we'll see where that goes, bro. But, yeah, that's that's the story behind boxing. And now I really just – I've kind of transformed when it was taken away from me to go play college football because mm. I couldn't do both. Um, kind of just transformed it into – something that I've had passion for and I'll just share it with everybody else. So Yeah, absolutely. That's what boxing's done for me, man. I encourage everybody to try it to be honest. Or some type of combative sport because it teaches you a lot. Absolutely. No, I agree because uh for me, I wasn't too much into boxing. I did it and it is fun and it is great. I had a guy uh when there was a UFC gym out here in Siena. Yeah. I had a trainer named DC Mitchell. And then uh, I used to, my sparring partner in boxing was this guy named Austin Williams. He's a junior gold glover and uh, yeah, ammo, ammo, yeah, ammo. That was my fucking sparring partner. He used to kick my butt every <laughs> part. Uh, but but we kind of we had a good chemistry because uh, we made each other better. He made me have to be disciplined and keep your hands up, you know. And you had to be in shape with him because he had you know, batteries. That's a motor. He died. But for me, what what he liked about me was the fact that I was a big, heavy dude at the time, and I used to always uh, try to wear him down by, you know, you know, keep forcing the pressure and, you know, keeping him against the ropes and really having to use my size against him. And so we, we kind of had a good chemistry about ourselves. And, and boxing was fun, but I was more into um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I still am into it, you know. So the Gracie family – you know, studying Frank Mir, the Noguero brothers, you know, those type of guys. I, I'm all into the combat sports. And like you said, like, it, it's it's a combat sport, but it's not about fighting. It's about discipline, and it's about learning principles and applying principles to life. I mean, especially in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, the first thing they teach you is, like, this is self-defense. We don't use this to incite violence. You use it to really try to uh, stop it and to avoid it. But if you need to defend yourself, then you do so but you try to use that as a last resort, you know what I'm saying? And, and, you know, just being able to be able to defend yourself and, you know, have that peace of mind about yourself is something I think everybody should have. You know, you don't want to have anxiety and, you know, have anger, have a bunch of yeah. emotion that you never really deal with, you know. It, it, you, need to you need to acknowledge it and you need an outlet, whatever that is, whether it's a combat sport or whether it's the gym, you know, everybody needs something that, they can use to release their emotions. So I agree, man. Right. That was definitely. Now, before we transition, though, I gotta ask you the question, man. Who are your top five boxes of all time? Top five boxes of all time. You want yeah. it in that order or what? Because I get anyway. asked this all the time. Anyway, give me uh, one right. through five. One through five. One Great. through five. If I'm a, all right, well, number one, and this is just because this is my childhood idol, but. Number one, I'm going Sweet Pea Whitaker. Um, number two, I'm going Muhammad Ali. Okay. Number three, and he's this is my favorite boxer of all time. It's kind of who I model my style after. But Roy Jones Jr. Mm. is my absolute favorite boxer. I watch endless amounts of film on him. Yeah. That's my guy. Um, number four, and I know this may sound crazy to a lot of people, but number four. Even with me being a bigger guy, I admire Ray Leonard. Mm. Ray Leonard is – Sugar Ray is 
is one of like my my favorite guys to watch and mm. and model myself after. And out of these class of new guys, man, I actually um, everybody picks Floyd in their top five. Floyd isn't in my top five. It's uh, um, right. I'm actually rolling with out of this new class of guys or just any of these these relevant guys. I'm actually going to roll with Errol Spence. Hey, he's good. And he's – I put him in my top five and everybody thinks I'm crazy, but I'm – he's the most textbook, whatever you want to see, out of a perfect, busy boxer, that's that's what he gives you, man. So, that's my top five. So, wait, why doesn't Floyd make your top five? Let me ask you that. Since people- the reason why Floyd doesn't make my top five, bro, is because Floyd is – Floyd is the best boxer that we have ever seen, but – Floyd naturally was not the best boxer that we have ever seen. Mm-hmm. Floyd Floyd mastered the science of boxing. Yeah. And Floyd made it work for him. Floyd made money off of that. That is why Floyd is not my favorite boxer. Because these prolific guys where it's where it's given. Yeah. And they, they came out mastering the science like Sweet P. Yeah. Those are the guys I respect more because they didn't have to be students of the game. They just came out with it. You know, so I totally agree. Floyd is the best boxer we've ever seen, but he gradually got there. He didn't come out that way. Floyd didn't come out being the best boxer, mm. for sure. What about Mike Tyson? Because Mike Tyson's the guy that – and just given the fact that Roy Jones and him are about to face off, what do you have Mike Tyson on your list, and what do you think of them two uh, going at it? Uh, Mike Tyson's probably going to fall, like, right at number six, bro. Like, Mike is uh, iron, iron Mike. Like, there's – what else can you say about him, bro? <laughs> He's probably in everybody's, like, top six, top ten, whatever. Yeah. A lot of guys top three. But uh, he's special, bro. He knocks everybody out within three rounds. Like, you can't – nobody else has that many knockdowns in less than three rounds other than him. And he's so, intimidate you. <laughs> he's, he's an animal, bro. He's a killer. And uh, I honestly used to watch his – his podcast videos and his his interviews and the dude was literally a killer. He had a he was he had a murderer's mindset, like legit. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. All right, man. We're getting to the last parts of the of the show. Uh huh. Talk about the biggest lessons you learned just with boxing, with football, and you know just evolving in your experiences. What have you learned? What would you say your biggest lessons you've learned in life are? Biggest lesson that I learned in life. Woo. It's been a lot. Hell yeah. But if I can go off of a broad spectrum, if we're talking about from when I was in high school with you until now, uh, where I'm at, man, it's just hey, you already know me, bro. I I've had a lot of setbacks, a lot, a ton. Mm-hmm. I was always the kid with the, the car getting broken down on the way to school, leaving the school. Had a lot of issues, didn't have much in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of setbacks, bro. Um, just when you get hit, and and I've learned life is literally like, bro, it's like a tug of war, bro. Like, it's, it's literally you're never going to stop fighting. Even when you feel like you've arrived and you've made the amount of money that you feel like you've made or you – you feel like you've arrived, bro. It's always going to be something else that is that is coming your way, bro. It's always gonna knock you down. Um, like I said, I, I got 
knocked down athletically. I, you know, I put my head down and I fought and scratched and then I overcame that. Um, that wasn't handed the best cards as a kid. You know, I, uh, with the help of some, you know, some mentors and some adults and, and, you know, boxing and some other things in my life, I was able to claw myself out of that too. So, um, didn't really have the career that I wanted to have football wise. Um, you know, I thought that I was going to be able to sneak, be one of those sneak, those guys that sneak into the league because I was a fullback, athletic, good hands, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, other things have came my way. Regardless with these setbacks, a lot of doors have opened. Um, even when that, when that happened or when I wasn't starting in high school, I actually started interning when I was 16. Like, a guy, the guy that I interned with for four years, that's actually – kind of like helped shape my career, man. The I started interning for the Rockets when I was 16. Yeah. After I wasn't able to, you know, after I wasn't getting much playing time in high school. Yeah. So that senior year that I didn't play, I was already at the Toyota Center shadowing somebody, you right. know, digging into that. It was my first – my senior year was my first year uh, getting to meet James Harden and Clint and uh, Eric Gordon. That was actually his first year coming in. Got getting ready to work with these guys, and I ended up being his intern every summer. So, you know, with all these things that I've gone through, uh, you can't fold, bro. And and if you keep your – and you already know me, bro. I was, even with everything that I went through, I was always composed. And never – you never saw me moping or you ever – it never changed my work ethic. I was just like, you know what, okay. Like, what else? Yeah. What else can you give me, man? What else can you give me? So, with all these things, man, and if you if you always – if you find yourself in a spot where you become negative or whatever, you notice that you miss out on a lot, bro. Because if I would have pitied myself, quit football, kind of fell off the spectrum, and I wasn't, you know, teaching my clients and doing things and, and met the guy that I met to get where I am now, kind of, uh, I would have missed out. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Kind of would have just been this really upset person because I can't – I'm not starting. I'm not doing whatever I want to do. Wouldn't have went to college. Wouldn't have interned anywhere. Wouldn't have got no experience. You know, I kind of would have just been in a totally different situation. So, um, when your mindset is positive, you're humble. You don't feel like the world owes you anything, and you just decide to go get it. You'll realize that a lot of these doors, a lot of these opportunities, will open up for you. And I'm very grateful that I am the person that I am, and I have that mindset because. It's opened a lot of doors. It's opened a lot of opportunity, bro. And I've gone through a ton. I've gone through a lot. There's a lot of 23-year-olds I don't think could could walk in my shoes. I don't think it's a lot of 23-year-olds that would have finished college. I was a college student. My first uh, six semesters of college, bro, I went to six funerals, you know. Went through a lot. So it's not a lot of people that could walk in my shoes, but I'm glad I have these shoes, bro. It's a – a lot of shitty things have been thrown in my direction, but I'm glad. Like, I, I love it. I love the – I look at the adversity, and I love it because that's what's – that that is what it takes in order to get where you actually want to go. Once you realize that life sucks <laughs> and it's always going to suck, bro, life is never good. Like, when Future is saying life is good, life is never good. Life sucks. So, when you go in – 
knowing that life sucks and you're ready to take it on, bro, you're going to win. That's that's how you win, bro. So if I can wrap up everything from boxing, Ridgepoint, college, to right where I am this very second, that is that is probably the best thing is do not fold. Like, whatever you do, keep keep your head down, keep trucking, fight through it. And, and I mean, better things are going to open up for you. Facts. Seriously. All right. Final two questions, man. Who should I bring on for insight, man? Who's the guest I should bring on? Oh, uh, let's see. Are we talking about people we went to school with? What are we, what are we looking at here? Anybody we, we know. Need? Anybody, anybody we know. Um, trying to think. There's, there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. Right. Right. <laughs> um, Who would you want to see me bring on? Honestly, if you can get a hold of him, try to get Austin to do a, a podcast with you. I know it's going to be kind of tough to get a hold of. Austin. See if you can get Austin Williams on here. Oh, shit. If you All can, right. if, you can get, if you can get a hold of him. I mean, I know he's a pro and uh, he's kind of hard to get a hold of. But if you caught him before um, he signed that contract and everything, oh, see yeah. if you can get him to give you a few minutes, a few sound bites. Um, other than that, I think Tyler Turner. Is probably the best. I got person. him. I got him. He coming up. Um, we're supposed to do Tyler. Some- yeah, Tyler's Tyler's up. doing a lot of stuff, bro, and he's he's dropping a lot. Me and Tyler top it up weekly, like almost daily, bro. That's still my best friend to this day, and he had an underdog story just like me, bro. We're both career wise, professionally. I mean, we're both killing it in different realms, but we're both killing it, and um. Honestly, without Tyler, I honestly don't think that my confidence in, in the field that I'm in and, you know, trusting my ability and everything, being where I'm getting to where I've gotten to and stuff like that, I don't think I'd be there without Tyler. So if Tyler can, can dish off some knowledge, I'd definitely uh, let you let Tyler dish off some knowledge for sure, bro. That's a bet. And then final thing, man, I think you kind of hit it on the head already, but your last – your last nugget of wisdom to the next generation, the young athletes, young boxers, young football players, young trainers, give one more last nugget of wisdom. Last word of wisdom for athletes in general, just yeah. all, like on a broad spectrum. <laughs> um, shit, let me think, man. Uh, the best advice I could give you is don't, don't go into whatever sports you do like, play that sport like you're the absolute worst at what you do. And I don't mean confidence-wise and, and don't be confident in your ability. What I mean is don't even – if you rush for a 1,000 yards in a season, so what? Like, don't, don't, even, don't even play in the stats. Don't look at your stats. Treat yourself like you're a regular person because that's what everybody on the outside is looking at you at. You may think you're the best athlete in the world, but there's always somebody that's going to bring you back to earth, whether you get knocked out. I've been dropped before. (laughs) I've been dropped before. Um, Whether you think you're the best running back receiver, whatever, there's going to be that kid that locks you up and embarrasses you a game. Like, but as long as you train and you act like you're the worst and you keep that mindset that you've never arrived, then you're going to be the best that you can possibly be. Like that's, that's the best way I can put it. Humble yourself and literally be the best that you could possibly be. Well, and that's kind of like what I 
kind of what I'm trying to instill in my guys that I'm training now, um, just to kind of, you know, just get in here and work, man. That's that's what I'm trying to get on my athletes about now, just get in here and work. Don't worry about what the next man next to you is doing or don't worry about what, what other people's success stories are looking like. If you're a kid that's not playing or whatever, then worry about that. That's what you need to be worried. That's what you're in here for. Yeah. Everybody's path is different. But the one the one path that you can control yeah. and the one thing you can control is your attitude, bro. So your mindset, once you change that, I mean, you got the key to the whole world, bro. That's it. No doubt. You control everything after that. That's it. All right. That's, what, that's what's up, bro. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. That's a wrap for Inside Podcast, episode 16. Appreciate my brother Stephen coming on and lending his knowledge, bro. Appreciate you, man. Of course, of course. So you can catch this episode on YouTube, Spotify, all platforms, Shimmer Podcast. Appreciate y'all.